There are days when we experience seasons of transition and change. And I don't know about you, but in my life, when seasons of transition and change happen, and they create an unsettledness. Even if the transitions or the change that takes place, even if it's a positive thing, even if it's something that is good, the fact that change happens can leave you feeling a little nervous, a little anxious, just a little bit unsettled. In the Thomas household, the month of June 2018 is a season of change and transition. We're facing things in my home that we've never before faced. We've never encountered what we're encountering uh, here in the month of June 2018. Now, we've had daughters graduate. I've got four daughters. We've had daughters graduate. Three of the four have graduated from high school. But next week, we're celebrating our seniors who are graduating from high school here at the 11 o'clock worship hour. And my youngest, my, my baby girl, my my, my last in the, in, in the flock there, she's walking across the aisle, and, and she, she is graduating, and she's going off to college. That's challenging. It's good news that children do come back home, but it's a change. It's a transition. About a week after my daughter graduates from high school, my second daughter we'll be getting married. And this is the first of my four girls to get married. And and even though it's exciting for a guy to join the Thomas clan other than me, (laughs) and even though I love this young man, he is a wonderful young man, it's still a change and a transition. And it leaves you unsettled. Hey, If you've experienced, it doesn't have to be change as mild or as strong as I've just described in our life. Maybe your change is is different than that, but it's change nonetheless. Maybe your transition is uh, more challenging, or maybe you see it as less challenging. But regardless, anytime you go through tectonic shifts, the ground begins to shake. Anytime wind currents of change happen in the atmosphere, thunder begins to roll and Rains begin to fall. Change leaves us a little bit unsettled. But the good news for us is that we have family called First Norfolk. We have a family in which God has planted us so that we can find support and strength together with one another as we face these changes and challenges and shifts and transitions. But more importantly, what we celebrate today is the very thing that makes us family. Today we celebrate the very solid rock foundation of life itself. The very solid rock foundation that even when everything around me is changing and shifting and moving, I can still stand secure because I am part of God's family. 
made part of God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for my sin and was raised from the dead to give me new life. And when I, by faith, trusted in him, in that moment, by his spirit, renewing me, making me brand new from the inside out, God brought me into his family because I've been made fit for his family through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's because I'm part of God's family that I can stand strong and that we can stand strong together. I recognize that not everybody here is part of God's family. And maybe you don't recognize that, but it's true. You see, being part of God's family is not showing up in a room. That that does not equate to being part of God's family. Being part of God's family is not the same thing as praying every day or or, uh, uh, going to confession or having communion. Those things do not make you part of God's family. We're glad you're in the house, but you're a welcomed guest. You're not a member. Even even when I say that, it's not that I walked down an aisle and signed a piece of paper and said, now I'm a member of First Baptist Church. That does not make you part of God's family. We hope that you're part of God's family before you do that, but it doesn't make you part of God's family. The only thing that can make you or me part of God's family is when I recognize that my sin has separated me from a holy God and my destiny is judgment in hell. And because my sin has separated me from a holy God, no amount of good stuff that I do or even religious stuff that I do can make me fit for God's family. But God in his great grace has provided good news for us that even though I'm separated from him by my sin, he invites me into his family by sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin, to take the weight of the punishment that I deserve because of my sinfulness upon himself. Jesus suffered, bled, and died so that I could be forgiven my sin. And so, and he was res- raised from the dead three days after his death so that I could have a chance at new life. This is the invitation that as many as believe on Jesus, to as many as, as received him and believed on his name, to them and only to them does he, God, give the authority and the right and the ability and the power to be part of his family. The only way you can be part of God's family is through faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to come into the family on terms that the head of household sets, not on our own terms. And God has set those terms, and that that means a life-changing, earth-shaking, earth-shattering, overwhelming, life-consuming, death-defeating transformation takes place in me. I'm no longer the same. It's not just about being a good religious moral person. No, 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 no. That doesn't make you fit for God's family. What makes us fit for God's family is when we humble ourselves before a holy God, repent our sin, and beg God's mercy and find his grace at the foot of Christ's cross. You, you got to give your life to Jesus. Whole hog, full throttle. And then and only then are we brought in to God's family. The good news is the invitation is open to everyone here. You, you might say, well, I don't know if I'm part of God's family. I, 
I don't think I am. I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Baptist, but I don't know if I've got what you're talking about. I mean, I, I, I was baptized at vacation Bible school one year, but, uh, but I don't know if I've got what you're talking about. If you don't know that you've got what I'm talking about, then you need to get it. And the invitation is open to you today to receive this gift of God's grace, to repent your sin and believe on Jesus and beg God's mercy and find his forgiving love, overwhelm you in your circumstance and give you a solid foundation upon which to stand for the rest of your life, no matter the seasons of change or transitions you might face. I look across this room today and I know that many of you have traveled through great, great transitions. I've watched you walk paths, walk a path that I can't even imagine walking. The upheaval in your life, the challenges and the changes that you've encountered, I've watched you. And I know that you walk those paths buoyed by the strength that only a friendship with God can deliver. I pray that I demonstrate that kind of courage and strength, faithfulness for you to see. So today, I, 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 want, us to, I want us to remember why we're here. We're here. To worship the one who has given us life, who's brought us into his family. That's why we're here. We're here to, to praise the one. But here's the question. Are you worshiping the one who has made you part of his family? Are you worshiping him with your whole heart? Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, David writes it this way. He says, I will praise you or worship you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. And that's, that's what we've got to ask here. See, it's, it's, not, it's not some halfway, half measure that God expects as we get together in a corporate setting. It is full throttle, full on expression of passion for the one who has made us part of his family and given us life and forgiveness of sin. Are you worshiping God with your whole heart? I know not everybody is made like me, and if you are new to this encounter with me, if this is something you've not experienced before, um, then let me just go ahead and explain. I am an excitable person. I've got hillbilly running through my veins. Uh, East Tennessee, Appalachian kind of hillbilly-ism in me. I, that, that's part of my character. It's part of my DNA and my makeup. And and, and, and so when I have those moments when I get excited and I get passionate, and, it, and, and when I get excited, I express that excitement uh, through uh, 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 moving feet and through uh, probably expressive uh, facial moments, and I get louder. I do. I get louder, and, and that's, that's who I am, and that's okay. That's, that's the way God made me. And and, uh, and, and so uh, when, when I express passion, I, if, uh, when I watch the Dallas Cowboys beat the Washington Redskins in a few weeks, make no mistake, I will be cheering and hoorahing and having a wonderful time. And I will be loud. And, 
Every service, every worship game, there's been somebody that's had to say something during that time. But, and, and, and I know, I know, I've watched some of you, well, when you get excited about a game or, or get excited, if, you, if, if your daughter w- or your son was graduating from high school, uh, you, would, you would express that in some way. And, and, and maybe it's not as loud or vivacious as something that I would do, and that's okay, but, but you express it in a certain way. Here's my question, though. Do we reserve the highest measure of our passion in worship to God or in celebration of a football team? I'm not asking you to make your personality different any more than you're asking me to make my personality different. I'm not asking you to change who God made you to be. What I'm saying is that God's expectation is for you in your worship of the living God to turn the knob to full throttle, to have an undiluted, unfiltered, undivided, passionate expression for the one who has given you life. You see, the high watermark is not our football team or our basketball team or our baseball team or the dance recital or our children's accomplishments or our accomplishments, the high watermark is not what what those things are. If we show our greatest amount of passion when LeBron James slams home a three-pointer and we we, we refrain from expressing any kind of praise when we gather in the presence of the living God corporately, we've missed it somewhere. Whether it's culturally or traditionally, you know what the Bible tells us to do when we get together? To absolutely show God that he is our highest passion. After all, verse 2 says he is El Elyon, God the most high, and he deserves our highest praise. And the question is, why in the world, why in the world would we Behave as though this is a place where we're supposed to be silent. You're not. You're, You're here to praise. In fact, the very first thing David says, I will praise you with my whole heart, with undivided, undiluted passion. I will praise you. The term for praise there is to speak, to tell, to publicly proclaim. The magnificence and the greatness of the living God. We're here. The reason we get together at least once a week is so that we can be here to publicly proclaim that God is great and magnificent. And the good news for me is that I get to do it. I mean, I'm this is my deal. This is this is what I'm supposed to do. I have the privilege of having. Uh, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes, depending on how I feel that day, have all this time to, to publicly proclaim the greatness and the magnificence of the living God. But here's what I, I fear is I fear that you haven't had the opportunity. I, I fear that, that you, you desire it, but you haven't, you haven't had the opportunity might I also suggest that every time we gather is the opportunity, but, but that's okay. We, we, have, we have decorum, you know, and all that kind of, and, and that's good, that's good, it's not bad. But let's just take a moment, and with the, with the knob turned on high, 
hitting the red line, moving to the high water mark. Let's just take a moment so that you can publicly proclaim God's greatness with the same vim and vigor, with more passion than you would a football team. Let's praise the Lord. This is why we're here. We've gathered here to praise the Lord with our whole heart. Y'all go ahead and be seated. Y'all, some of y'all make me nervous at a football game. I probably wouldn't sit next to you at a football game, but... No, listen, within the framework of how God made you, some of you sat, some of you stood, some of you shouted, some of you said, some of you clapped, some of you didn't, and, and that, that's not the measure. It's not, it's not the loudest person in the room. That's, that's not the measure. The measure is the one whose heart is undivided in passion to the living God holding nothing back. By the way, if you would paint your body for a football game or a sporting event, but you won't say anything in this room because you think it's undignified, we need to have a conversation. You see what I'm saying? Do you, you see what I'm saying? Our highest praise must go to our highest passion. I mean, our highest praise does go to our highest passion. Are we praising God with our whole heart? As we praise God with our whole heart, David goes on and he says, and I'm going I'm to recount all your wondrous works. I'm, I'm going to make a list of all the wondrous things that you have done. And that's what brings us here. You see, what brings us to this moment is as we gather to publicly proclaim the greatness and the magnificence of the living God, we also celebrate and rehearse and remember his wondrous work of grace and love toward us. In that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, that when we were still without strength, Christ died for us, that we do not deserve God's mercy, but we receive God's mercy through the sacrifice of Jesus on a cross. It is by Christ that we have forgiveness of our sin and no other. It is by Christ that we have the Spirit of God residing within us. It is by Christ that we live and breathe and have our being. It is by Christ that we have been made family, and he is the bedrock of this community. Listen, today we've got to remember and rehearse what Jesus has done for us. And from the very beginning of time, even before time began, God purposed in his heart to bring someone like you, a sinner, into his family, knowing the crimes against his holiness that we have done. He thought of you to bring you and to draw you to himself so that you could be part of his family. Before time began, you were on his heart. Today, we celebrate that God, with a sovereign purpose, 
an intentional, patient, long-suffering purpose. God brought Jesus so that we could be rescued and have life in him. So that we might not only have that moment in time where we are transformed by God's grace, but then even beyond that, we might live because of that great grace. That God who has done wondrous works in shaping history and moving time toward that moment when Jesus died for sinners on a cross and was raised from the dead to the point where you and I have received him by faith and been transformed by his grace forever and ever, amen, even to the point in time where we are glorified together with him in his presence and made like Jesus perfectly. This is the journey that we celebrate here. These are the wondrous works that God is is working on our behalf today we celebrate as we remember. Today we celebrate the wondrous works of a living, loving God that transforms us from hopelessness and helplessness in our sinfulness to a life of power and strength, overwhelmed by his love and his grace so that we can walk each day in the confident hope that the God who rescued us is the God who is rescuing us, even in seasons of transition and change. So as we come to this table, and if you are indeed part of God's family and a follower of Jesus, and you take the bread, think of his body that was broken for you, so that you might be made whole. As you take the cup, think of his blood poured out, shed in his own death and sacrifice so that your sin might be forgiven. Think and remember and celebrate. So Lord God, in these moments as we set our focus on you and our worship toward you, I pray, O Lord, that you would awaken in us by your Spirit the recognition of your great grace, that you would awaken in us a passion that's undivided and undiluted toward you. As we take the cup and as we take the bread, may we think in terms of of that wondrous story of your rescuing love, beginning with Adam and through Noah and, and Abraham and Moses and King David and the prophets all the way to the birth of Jesus, all the way to the death of Jesus, all the way to the resurrection of Jesus, even throughout the time uh, between then and now and our own rescue. God, I pray that you would help for us to celebrate this wondrous story of your purposed love reaching toward us and giving us life. As we take the cup and as we take the bread... Oh, Spirit of God, will you awaken in us a celebration and a joy and a hope. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he passed it among his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he passed it and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for many 
for the forgiveness of sin. Drink. There's something that happens when we praise God with our whole heart. As we, as we publicly proclaim His greatness and His grandeur, there's something that happens in us. The Spirit of God begins to awaken us uh, to the reality of who we are. As we begin to recount and rehearse uh, the wondrous works of the living God toward us, uh, something begins to happen in us as part of God's family. As we rehearse and remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on our behalf as He bled and died upon a cross for our sin in our place uh, and, and was raised from the dead to give us new life. As we rehearse and remember those wondrous works of a living God on our behalf, something begins to happen to us. We begin to have hope. We begin to have hope. That no matter what is happening in our world, no matter the seasons of change or the transitions that we face, our hope rests in the God who has brought us victory and continues to bring us victory. We have hope. We have hope not in our ability to navigate the circumstances. Can I just confess to you all, this is my problem. See, my biggest problem, um, maybe not my biggest, one of my biggest problems is that if there's a problem, I'm navigating through it. I'm, I'm figuring out the solution. I'm, I'm walking through the steps I need to take to, to, to find my way and to navigate my course. I'm, I'm, I'm fumbling along in the fog, uh, just, just taking one step at a time, just trying to make my way. And, and, and that's my nature. But, but here's the problem. That is the blind leading the blind. And what God awakens in me every week that I gather with my family here at First Norfolk, what God reminds me and, and motivates me to do is to stop trying to make my own way and to rest in His wondrous rescuing love, to rest in His wondrous, powerful provision, to rest and follow His direction, His guidance, to cling to Him to have gut-wrenching prayer rather than just working on my spreadsheet. Something happens in me, in us, as we gather together as family. And that something is a celebration begins to break out. There's a practice in my home that I have grown to love and appreciate and even participate in it. It's called a dance party. We do it regularly, but especially on those special occasions. We have dance parties. And I, I, I love it. And by the way, it's biblical. Verse 2 of Psalm 9. That's talking about a dance party. It's talking about the song of joy taking over our soul and moving our feet and our heart and our hands so that we celebrate the God who has given us life and hope and peace and joy. It means that we begin to dance the dance of joy 
You know, again, my hillbilly roots, we got the jig going on and we start stomping out a little bit of the tune. But as it begins to move from our feet to our soul and our soul begins to awaken and catch fire to the wonderful things. And you got to say fire the way I said fire. You got to say fire. Your heart begins to catch fire of the wonderful things that God has done for you pretty much sooner than later as you're feet begin to dance the jig and as your soul is caught on fire, then the whole of your heart begins to focus its absolute supreme passion on the one who has given me life. Joyful celebration so that our lips will forever praise him. My prayer for us today is not that you would be like me. And express your passion necessarily the way I do. But that you would turn the knob full throttle. However that looks in you. And join your passion to our passion. My passion to your passion. So that together as the family of faith called First Norfolk. We might be known as a people who praise the Lord with our whole heart. So, Lord God, in this moment, as we gather together to worship you, to adore you, to praise you with our whole heart, as we even now begin to consider and think how that you have loved us with an everlasting love and how the lines of our life have fallen together because of your great love. We're here today and we're celebrating, but God, I pray that as as these moments pass and as we consider what you've done for us, that as we worship through song and the song of praise, the lyrics of your love, the, the tune of your tenderness, the, the, the melody of your mercy begins to awaken us by your Spirit, awaken us to how loved we are by you. Now may we celebrate that. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.